Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, fresh off of mocking me before we came on the air, Eric Green. What's up, man? Um, not much. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin anything. Elimination chamber for you, if you. I've, I've already read about it. What a what a vindication for those of us who had Fohawks too late into adulthood. Um, <laughs> the Miz doing it, doing it for all of us. Uh, congrats. Um, that that's got to be among the longest waits between championship reigns one and two. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, 10 years or whatever it is, is a long time to wait between titles. Uh, as it turns out, Eric, the Toronto Raptors have no intention of waiting 10 years. They are looking <laughs> to put only two years between titles. Things are turning around, man. Yeah, it's, it's been a fun week. Uh, one that I, of course, predicted poorly, but that's okay. We'll accept it because uh, it's it's more fun when I predict it poorly in this direction as opposed to the way I have been predicting it poorly most of the year. Um, so I, I went away with my gut that this team was still pretty good. And then they showed that they're still pretty good. So that's good. Yeah, it turns out that the 2-8 and eight start when they were displaced from home and had a short training camp with a lot of new pieces was not uh, indicative of how they'd end up. Uh, before we get into the 4-0 week and the Raptors now Scraping back above 500. A reminder, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six if you are not already a subscriber to the written side uh, of The Athletic. We encourage you to do so. You can find out or you could read pieces like uh, whether DeMarcus Cousins would be a good fit on the Raptors, um, how Pascal Siakam's learning to impact games without scoring, uh, you know, whether a, a Raptor has a good chance at, a, at an all-star berth, all stuff we're going to talk about a little bit on this podcast um, also, you can see if Eric came through on Fred Van Vliet's demand that Eric do his job and describe the Raptors' identity instead of asking uh, Fred Van Vliet to do it. Also, just a, a quick note that producer Andrew has a, a new show coming on the Athletics NBA show on Saturdays called Saturday Slam and Jam, uh, so be sure to check that out on the Athletic NBA show. I, I like that. It's got like the name has sort of like a Saturday cartoons vibe yeah. going for it. Uh, so I assume that will be the spirit with which they uh, they bring the show to you, the listener. Yeah, I'm just just surprised that Andrew didn't. Uh, Andrew also uh, hosts a Thunder podcast. I'm just surprised he didn't name it the uh, the Saturday Podkushevsky. You know. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so it is a good time to sign up for uh, you know the. I mean, it's always a good time to sign up for the Athletic, of course. But theathletic.com/slash we the six, uh, especially here now, four and a half weeks out from the trade deadline, and uh, just two weeks out from. 
the All-Star break, which, you know, has the potential to be kind of a winter meetings-ish sort of thing. Uh, we're going to talk about that stuff in the coming weeks. Today, we're mostly going to talk about your uh, four in a week for the Toronto Raptors. First, couple news updates to uh, wrap up. First, Eric, Kyle Lowry remains sidelined with a sprained thumb. Uh, it's the same thumb that he had surgery on following the championship run and, and that he wore an oven mitt on for most of the playoff run. Uh, Nick Nurse has sounded not super concerned. Lowry hasn't been ruled out ahead of time for any games. He's been uh, doubtful, uh, and it's kind of a, a day-to-day thing. Well, he was, have- quite, he was questionable for the Minnesota right. game, even though Nick Nurse had ruled him out the prior yeah. night, <laughs> which is um, uh, interesting. Uh, do you have any concern level with, with that, or are they just playing it cautious? Cause I mean, the, the only concern, sorry to cut you off, is uh, that, you know, it's the thumb he's had surgically repaired the other time, although I think he broke part of a, a small bone in the other thumb last year. So, like, <laughs> whichever thumb it was was going to be problematic. Uh, but, I no, I'm not overly concerned, and uh, especially as the Raptors do more than stay afloat without him, uh, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think fifteen in a fun. row. Um, yeah. fifteen in a row. It's uh, it's something. Yeah, that's uh, I'm referring to the Raptors have won fifteen straight. So the, I think the play. the last game they would have lost was maybe against Dallas last year. Um, I'd have to he, go back and look. Yeah, that's my guess because he got injured on the first game of that trip. Uh, I was on the majority of that trip, which is why I remember he injured himself in New Orleans, and then they. Sp- Split, or they won in LA and then lost to the Clippers and beat Portland and they beat then they lost to yes. Dallas. Y- you are correct. That is the last game that they lost. Uh, November sixteenth, twenty nineteen was the last game they lost without Lowry. Uh, they won seven in a row immediately after that, um, and then they also won three other games during the course of last year when Lowry uh, just missed a random game here and there for for rest or or whatever. Uh, so far this year, they are six and zero when Larry doesn't play, and seven and zero if you want to count. I mean, he played twenty two minutes in yeah. the first Bucks meeting this week, but uh, anyway, things are uh, they're hanging in there, and it's not like it's been an easy schedule, which we'll get into. Um, so Lowry uh, remains uh, a bit day to day with the thumb, and I think they'll they'll play it pretty cautious. Uh, also on the injury side, uh, Jalen Harris has a dislocated finger down with the 905. And Stanley Johnson, as I understand it, has been released from the hostage situation he was in uh, when he did the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Uh, our friends over at Dishes and Dimes had Stanley on their podcast today. And there's a video component of it, and it looks like uh, Stanley is in a closet with the lights off. I have uh, to, so I have to nice watch to see him. listen to this now. It was, it was, it's good. Um, the yeah he's he's back to dancing on the sidelines and stuff a uh, bigger news item that we need to dive into uh, it was reported by our shams trainia uh on sunday night that uh the raptors have lost assistant coach chris finch he's been hired finch uh, he's been signed to a multi-year deal to replace ryan saunders as the head coach of the minnesota timberwolves obviously a bit surprising to see this happen mid-season not a lot of precedent for an assistant being plucked in the middle of the year Finch did work with uh, Rosas in Houston and he interviewed for that job in 2019 in Minnesota so um you know the the context certainly suggests that he he had uh, fans in the organization uh when he didn't get that job and that he was uh, a quick move when they decided to move on from Saunders 
weird timing here aside, Eric, uh, I think we're probably both in agreement, and we're going to talk to Nick Nurse after practice shortly after we record this. Uh, I'd imagine Nick Nurse is pretty happy for Finch, and any loss to the Raptors is outweighed by the fact that he his lifelong uh, competitor-turned-friend has his first NBA head coaching opportunity. Yeah, I remember when I was writing a story about uh, them back when Nurse was it was Nurse's last year as an assistant uh, under Dwayne Casey, and Finch was an assistant uh, under Alvin Gentry in New Orleans. And I forgot which one told me this, but uh, it was basically the point was if anyone, either one ever gets a head coaching job, they'll bring the other to be an assistant. <laughs> um, and of course, when Nick Nurse got the head coaching job, uh, Finch was still. Uh, with New Orleans, and and I don't know how hard the Raptors tried to get him out of that contract, but uh, the you know he's thought to be one of the better minds in this league, more creative minds uh, up through the vaunted Houston development G League system, uh, so cutting edge, uh, and yeah, yeah, there's no way that Nick Nurse was going to stand in the way of his friend getting one of 30 NBA jobs when they've both traveled such a similar route. Like all Nick Nurse has to do is, you know, think about what it meant to him after all those years to finally get a head coaching job. And not only all those years, but, you know, that particular journey, that that particular type of journey to get an NBA job. And, and you know, it would be cruel to uh, not allow Finch to, to go after it. Uh, it is weird. I think the last example was uh, was Memphis. Why am I blanking on his name now? The Memphis Hollins? Lionel Hollins going from Milwaukee to Memphis uh, mid mid year. Uh, but I mean, it's it's not a small thing. But you know, there's lots of institutional knowledge, uh, especially with Patrick Matumbo coming uh, theoretically coming back after the G League bubble ends in, in early March. It's early March, right? Yep. Well, uh, in mid-March if they make a deep playoff run. But yeah. they're 4-3 and three right now, with a, and they don't have Malachi Flynn anymore. So we'll see. Um, so hopefully he established some important offensive underpinnings uh, that currently have them ranked, I think, 10th in offensive rating right now. Yes. Um, and... You just got to feel good for him in the same way that you felt good for Nick Nurse getting and Nate Bjorkren getting to, uh, you know, take some unusual paths and get to, you know, one of the pinnacles of coaching in the uh, basketball world. Yeah, I would imagine, um, you know, the move that makes the most sense to me is Jama Malalela moves up from the the back row of the bench to the front row. Uh, Sergio Scariolo will be back at some point from some point soon, I'd imagine, from uh, coaching Spain in their latest Eurobasket qualifiers. Uh, And then, yeah, Patrick Matumbo and his four assistants in the G League bubble, uh, Ryan Schmidt, Eric Curry, John Bennett and Brittany Donaldson. Uh, They could bring up any number of those people to kind of backfill uh, the staff a little bit, so... Uh, I, be- I actually uh, am a writer for The Athletic and a podcast co-host, not an assistant for the G-League. Yes, yes. Uh, we, it was funny. So, Eric Curry, uh, the assistant who um, has gone from the Raptors analytics department to the Raptors bench and now to the 905 bench the last two years, uh, he did uh, media availability to give Coach Matumbo a break the other day, and uh, he... 
he pointed out that in one of in my 905 season preview um my storylines to watch I, I had mentioned that you know all the questions came on the defensive end uh the offense was like they were going to score so easily that e- they would be a top offense even if eric was coaching them and that was a shot at you but yeah. he wasn't sure um, <laughs> anyway the 905 have the number one offense in the g league so uh the analysis is there but to be clear i was making fun of you eric kareen not eric curry yeah, I remember when the Raptors got their rigs, there were like one or two tweets sent at me when Eric Curry was announced as, as like a guy getting a rig. And it's like, whoa, why are you getting a rig? And I'm not sure how comfort- how like how much comedy was involved or, or like if people were trying to joke. But uh, yes, we have similar names. You sure do. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's how I would imagine that trickles down. I don't, you know, it'd be kind of. It'd be a little odd to see them do an outside hire with an available coach that they didn't just do in the offseason, which was like seven minutes ago. (laughs) So um, one other thing that we addressed Saturday night in a a column we pieced together um, together, DeMarcus Cousins will reportedly be released by the Houston Rockets after they guaranteed his contract for the rest of the year, although they were talking as if he's going to play today uh, at practice on Sunday. Uh, that is not uh, something either of us are super excited about for the Raptors. Yes, they need help at the center position. Uh, Cousins has not been good for a couple of years now. Uh, even this year, as he's trended upward over the course of the season, he's finishing at the rim worse than, for example, Aaron Baines. Uh, he is a low 30s three-point shooter. He's a good passer, but you know when you can't when you can't uh, pressure uh, on the on the roll and you can't pressure at the rim. Uh, it's a little tough for those skills to play up, and he just hasn't been the same guy defensively outside of uh, the rebounding. Obviously, you know, if this were five weeks from now and the deadline had passed and it was the only option that was coming on the board, maybe you consider it more strongly. But here, four and a half weeks out from the deadline, uh, it doesn't seem like a, an obvious fit and upgrade. Uh, but more to what I wanted to talk about this, uh, the quote-unquote problem with the media that we don't, we didn't like the Cousins uh, idea. Look, the reason I was not super thrilled about the Andre Drummond rumor was because, one, I didn't think it was super legitimate. Uh, and two, the Raptors would have to give up either Kyle Lowry or like four or five players to make the salary cap math work. And I'm sorry, but the salary cap rules are not... A straw man or an excuse or a reason to be negative they are the rules uh that have to be followed uh, so i hate being a killjoy this time of year but that's a real thing and yes if drummond was bought out versus having to command a third of the roster to make the math work then it's a lot more interesting and also this weird thing that we were anti harden when i think our raptors reasonableness back and forth about harden was fairly Hey, go, yeah, get, go get, get the top <laughs> five player in the in the league if you can get them. Um, so I don't know, but anyway, apparently, uh, apparently, all that is uh, doesn't matter because you don't. We don't want Demarcus Cousins, who has the Raptors played off the floor prior to his last major surgery. And uh, anyway, a little bit of a rant there. Uh, the Raptors have an open roster spot, and they need to address their center depth absolutely. Doesn't mean you have to take the first name that you recognize from the points per game leaderboard five years ago uh, that becomes available. Yeah, especially when John Henson's still out there. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, you know what? Two of those people who were upset with us said, well, you guys liked Aaron Baines 
And how did that work out? First of all, I said Baines was a reasonable plan C. That was the exact <laughs> quote that I had when they signed Baines. Let's not um, be silly about it. But also, he was plus 11 on uh, whatever day yesterday was, Sunday. Plus 11 against the 76ers in, in 30 minutes. So maybe we do... Uh, anyway, I don't want to get bogged down on that. Uh, let's talk about the week, Eric. The Raptors did go 4-0. They beat the Milwaukee Bucks twice. They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, even with Drew Holiday missing the two games for Milwaukee, uh, obviously Kyle Lowry missed three halves of that four-half set, uh, and they beat a fully healthy Philadelphia team. They've also beat the Nets earlier this year. The weird KD stuff in that game for sure. Um, but in general, they've beaten the top three teams uh, in the East now, and, and the presumed top three teams, Boston, I guess, would be the best team in the in the East that they haven't beaten. But I don't know that Boston has any claim to be the best anything except maybe the best matchup for Toronto. Um, they have not been good overall. Uh, how encouraged are you? Uh, obviously, they've they've had this massive turnaround in general. They started two and eight. They've gone fourteen and seven since. They're borderline top ten on both ends of the floor. They're ninth in the league in net rating and simple rating, which controls for schedule a little bit. You know, they're they're basically they profile as a borderline top ten team, which I think is where we roughly had them entering the year. I think I picked them to finish third in the East. Um, you know how encouraged are you by the by this turnaround and more more than just the four and zero the fact that their defense looks good against top teams now. Yeah, I, I think if I want to zero in on one game, and perhaps it's just because it's one of the two games that I, I was writing off of. The second Milwaukee game was a real uh, indicator to me of how this team can play. It was this sort of. You know, the defense was so connected at times, and, and the offense was just relentless in terms of getting into the paint, and if nothing was there, kicking it out and starting the, you know, the quote-unquote next action basketball that Nick Nurse and, and Fred Van Vliet in particular talk about a lot, because uh, especially without Kyle Lowry, this team doesn't have a super-duper star that's, you know, break you down one-on-one and... -on -one, uh, reliably you know possession after possession and crunch time um and, and that's a game they got out offensive rebounded 15 to 2 and now that's not something you know you want to get used to but if you're playing small which you know right now on average i do think is the right decision uh you're gonna have to learn to work around some nights like that and you know they they were still battling they were still scrapping and most importantly when they did get the rebound uh especially against philadelphia i felt like they were out and running they were making a point of it uh to, to get out and running and, and getting some more easy baskets uh so i think when you look at you know, for me in particular, that second Milwaukee game and the Philadelphia game in which Baines uh, played a, a very significant role in the fourth quarter, um, forcing Joel Embiid into some pretty tough shots. You know, he made that he made the one in which uh, Embiid was trying to draw a foul uh, like he was Kyle Lowry leading uh, to his right and ended up stepping on the line, not getting the foul and still hitting the shot by on ac by accident. Um but, uh, yeah, I, I think what we've seen from this team is really inspiring. I, you know, I, I don't 
think, and I don't think we necessarily have to obsess over them having landed on a rotation, because I'm not sure that's true. I, I think Nick Nurse has just sort of used the guys who make sense in the in each scenario. Like, for example, Stanley Johnson played the fourth quarter against Minnesota, and then had a DNP CD against Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, any talk of role certainty, I don't think we have to give much credence beyond the top four guys who have had their roles more or less certain all year. Uh, but you have to like what you see in terms of not only the level they're playing, but the stylistic versatility with which they're playing. And, and to answer Fred Van Vliet, like that has <laughs> a lot to do with their identity is the ability to play in different ways. And I think they've showed that. To be clear, what, what I was joking about there and what Eric was referring to is Eric asked Fred Van Vliet, uh, on Sunday after the game, what is the ra- to describe the Raptors' identity? Well, that, Van, Vliet, I, Van Vliet said that's your job. Uh, in my defense, Van Vliet said earlier, "I think we found our identity a little bit." So yeah, I feel like that was a good question, and I know he was just you know mostly joking around. And yeah. uh, although it's not the first time he's accused me of working for somebody else. Although, before it had been Masai Ujiri at this time. Now I'm working for other teams, apparently. You're an op. It's uh, as straightforward as that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was only half in on that uh, presser because uh, the 905 were in double overtime. So, yeah. you know, we got we to gotta keep those priorities straight. Speaking of Van Vliet, uh, he has had a pretty good week. Um, he has had a pretty good season, of course, also. Um, you know, Nick Nurse said after the game that that he thinks Fred Van Vliet is an all-star um, and has played like one. Fred Van Vliet himself said he feels like he's played like an all-star and, and would like to be an all-star. Obviously, it's a little more noticeable when Kyle Lowry's out just how much Van Vliet has improved as a uh, pick-and-roll ball handler. And, and in these last four games, uh, this four-game win streak, he's averaging 21 points five rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and a block. Uh, Most of those blocks are probably (laughs) actually steals. Um, You know, Van Vliet on the year has a really tasty stat line. He's up to 20 points, 4.4 rebounds, 6.6 assists, 1.7 steals, 0.7 blocks. Again, those are probably steals. Uh, But he's he's been solid. He's got his true shooting percentage up to league average now, which... When you're a six-foot point guard carrying a 24% usage rate, which is, you know, he has the second highest offensive responsibility on the team after Siakam, you know, getting there at, at average true shooting percentage is pretty good. And then he's maybe been, you know, the best defensive point guard who's not Ben Simmons this year in the NBA. So, uh, Eric, I guess what I'm getting at is, are Nick Nurse and Fred Van Vliet going to get their wish? And is Fred Van Vliet an all-star? Uh, especially now that Kyle Lowry being hurt maybe kills some of the potential for vote splitting. Uh, if coaches who are voting on this wanted to reward a Raptor and Lowry get the legacy vote, you know, you miss a couple games right before the vote. Maybe it swings to Van Vliet's favor? So, like I said last week, I still haven't done this exercise in which I actually try to be a coach and come up with the seven. Um, If it makes you feel better, I haven't done any exercise of late. uh, That does make me feel better. No, it doesn't. Like, look look after yourself. Um, He's not, like, against some of the guys who he'll be competing with, like, he's not going to win the box score comparison right like no, Trey, there are four Trey, guys in the league averaging 20 points yeah like Trey like for two 
uh, I'm sure all three of these guys can make it, but like Trey Young and uh, Zach Levine, who are, you know, guards on worse teams, but like the, those two guys have like unreal box score statistics. Levine and, is also like, like gotten significantly better just yeah. in general. Like, like there's the box score element, but also he's improved a lot as a team defender. And I know that, you know, RPM and RAPM haven't caught up with that because of the priors that they have in there, but you know, the Bulls were a good defensive team with Levine starting and playing a lot of minutes last year with Chris Dunn in that starting lineup. And he's, Chris Dunn. You know, obviously he's not a lockdown guy, but he's, he's really good. Yeah. I, and this, this wasn't to slander either of those guys. Like if they make the team and Fred Van Vliet, the all-star game and Fred Van Vliet doesn't like, I don't think on those counts there's like a reason to be outraged. It's like a reasonable minds can disagree thing, right? Like I, like, can you say that Fred Van Vliet is a more, you know, well-rounded and impactful player than both of those guys? I think so. I think you can make that case. I think uh, uh, our friend Dan Devine over at the Ringer took uh, took Van Vliet over Trey Young, which is something I have trouble believing the coaches will do just because of how much of their scouting time revolves around stopping Trey Young when they play Trey Young. And I assume that doesn't quite happen with Van Vliet, uh, especially judging by Philadelphia's performance against him at the end of the first quarter uh, last night. It's like, guy likes to go to his left and take pull-ups. Maybe stop him from doing that. Anywho, if I... so. I haven't done the full exercise. If I did, I imagine I would guess slightly that he wouldn't make it. But the odds are certainly ha- have improved. And I think if one Raptor is going to make it, it's almost certainly going to be him. And, and you know, it's at like a 40, 60, 45, 55 sort of percentage now for me. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at it and some of it's going to depend also on, you know, the those swing guys do they get in as guard or front court? Like, like Jalen Brown is nominally a shooting guard, but you could list him at small forward if you really wanted to. Uh, anyway, I, I would guess that he ends up on the wrong side of it, even though obviously he's, he's put in about the best pre voting week that you could hope to put in, in in leading a Lowry list team to, to a four and a week. Um, more to the point of, you know, like, like I, Obviously, I would be very happy for Kyle Lowry to get seven-time All-Star status as we think about things like his Hall of Fame case as he nears his 35th birthday. I would obviously, you know, appreciate the narrative of Fred Van Vliet going from undrafted through the G League, bet on himself to to All-Star status. All that stuff would be great. Um, However, you know, if there's a year to not make the All-Star team and just miss it, uh, this is probably uh, this is probably the one. Um, I guess, and he, but he also said like he'll be going to a beach somewhere. So yes. it's like it's not as if he's just gonna stay in his apartment locked up like we would. Yes, like I, I more meant to. that like it just doesn't feel like. Oh, it won't be. It won't right? be like, fun. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not like so, the. It's not the experience that uh, it, a normal All Star game is. Right. So I think what is a more important thing here, and it was my biggest takeaway from that Sixers game, even if they ended up losing that game, is that Van Vliet and Siakam, while sure, they might not make the All-Star team, I think over the last 10, 15, even 20 games, 
they've shown some pretty meaningful improvement in terms of, you know, what is the Raptors floor? What are the Raptors floor and ceiling look like? And ceiling still kind of the question because you're in a conference with uh, the two time reigning MVP and the Brooklyn Nets and the 76ers. But I think, you know, the growth that Van Vliet and Siakam have shown over the course of the year are really important when you're thinking, you know, big picture and longer term. And Siakam's usage as a number one guy is obviously down and he hasn't been as efficient this year, but he's also taken strides as a playmaker. He's back Absolutely. to over the last month, I would say, playing at a at an all defense or borderline all defense level and you know, Van Vliet never really wavered on that end of the floor, nor did Ananobi. But I think Siakam locking back in in that regard is as big a factor in the defense turning it around. Like, as... Siakam won, I, I mean, didn't win that game. Against Minnesota, like, he made so many big defensive plays yeah, in that fourth quarter. he had three quarter. blocks in the, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Two of them on threes. Well. Um, I, I think him getting back to that guy on defense is as big a factor as, you know, Nurse figuring out his bench rotations and, and Bembry carving out a role and stuff. Um, and then I think Van Vliet, you know, you're looking... So so with Siakam, it's about, you know, when the shot isn't there or the scoring's not there, can you still drive winning for a team? And I think he's moving in the right direction with that, with the defensive playmaking. And I think if you're looking at Van Vliet, you know, Philly and Milwaukee are two teams that have given him... Trouble. Obviously, he had that bonkers shooting series against the Eastern in the Eastern Conference Finals, but he was like the fourth option. Yeah, at that very point. Di- very different role. He wasn't creating yeah. at the point of attack in, in right. that series. And, and he's still struggling to finish, but he's gotten his entire offensive profile to where he's pretty efficient, and he's taken pretty dramatic strides as a pick and roll orchestrator. So I think those are the things you really take away from this turnaround stretch. You know, whether it results in All Star or not. I, I care out of I, I like to see these people that I cover every day succeed, but I don't really care in terms of, you know, you have to have X number of all-stars to, to be a good team. Like, I, I just think it's encouraging the way that Siakam and Van Vliet have trended over the course of the year. Absolutely. Uh, if we could just take a second to, appre- uh, to appreciate Fred Van Vliet's double strip of uh, Joel Embiid on on Sunday night where he knocked the ball loose, not once, but twice on the, on the same play. Like, as you always say, heavy hands, man. Heavy Uh, hands. He, I almost asked him this question after the game and then figured it probably wasn't the right time. Uh, I, I am curious whether he would rather be an all-star or, or get an all, all defense spot. And I think the answer would probably be all-star just because it's, more meaningful as a long-term like, like all-star represents overall game and, and truthfully it represents offense more than defense um whereas all defense you see a lot of role players end up on all defense teams throughout their careers uh so i'm guessing that's what the answer would be but he is making quite an all defense case he he makes like a beyond just being solid throughout games he makes like one or two incredible plays every night now um and that the one against uh Embiid on Sunday night really stood out to me as just if he can knock the ball out of his hands in the manner in which he did like who can't he do that to 
Yeah, I mean, he ripped it out of Giannis's hands the other night, too. Yeah, like, his his success rate there, on what's a dangerous play, because if you miss out, like, there's an there's an obvious open kickout pass uh, for, for a clean three. Uh, his success rate in those plays, like, like, I'm sure he's been burned. I can, you know, it happens, but he's he makes great gambles. Uh, and that's something that used to be, like, a... A gambler used to be sort of a no-no for a point guard. Like all coaches cared about was uh, being solid and, and keeping, you know, the foundation and, and the point of attack defense solid. And he does he does that pretty well. But he is a special player when he uh, uses his intuition and tries to make reads on the go. He sure is. Um, the Raptors, by the way, uh, we mentioned on the defensive end are. Um, for whatever reason, NBA.com stats haven't updated. So yet, I, I, in the morning. I just uh, did that. I changed the date, uh, physically to today's date. Um, like in the, if you add a filter, yeah. uh, and it, it then does give you, uh, the up-to-date stats, which is weird. Um, but they are 12th defensively, although only 0.3, uh, behind Milwaukee for yeah, 10.3 points per 100 possessions. Uh, outside of being top 10 on that end. And I, I think, obviously, Van Vliet and Siakam have, and OGN and Obi have the largest impact on that. And the the area the Raptors have always stood out most and continue to stand out most is they're forcing more turnovers than any other team in the league. Obviously, that comes with a, an aggression tax in the way of fouling more than anyone else. Uh, but at least they've cleaned up the defensive rebounding some. They're, they're now only bottom 10 instead of bottom one. Uh, so that's... Uh, that's positive. Uh, I think one of the things that has helped in that regard, on top of their best players playing better, is Nick Nurse seems to have not settled on a rotation because guys have been in and out of the lineup so much, but I think it's pretty clear he likes starting smaller, and he's figured out you know who the first four guys on off the bench are going to be, um, and I think you know that's that's obviously going to remain fluid. Uh, moving forward, like it's not a, a certainty necessarily, but the Boucher Baines pairing off the bench, uh, which gets Boucher to the power forward position, which is you know a, probably the the better spot for him if he's shooting this well. That pairing has been effective in a small sample. The Boucher Bembry Davis trio have the best net ratings. Those are the top three net ratings on the team, and they're all double digit positive net ratings over the last fourteen games. Um, as those guys kind of have locked down the six, seven, eight spots in the rotation. Um, and that's not all that surprising because the Boucher Davis Ronde trio was a really effective bench trio last year, um, usually with one starter and a center or two other starters. Um, Bembry is kind of a guard version of Ronde Hollis Jefferson with a with a little more, you know, ball savvy. Um, not surprising to see that trio. Uh, succeed a little bit, especially as Davis has kind of rounded out some of the high mistake play he had earlier in the year. Uh, Davis, by the way, um, you can read our latest update on his legal situation uh, over at The Athletic. Um, just, you know, read the specifics. Don't read what some of the headlines were. Um, that remains an ongoing issue in the NBA and MBPA uh, investigation remains ongoing in that regard. Um, but strictly on court, Davis is trending in the right direction. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, Eric, what do you think of, you know, is this the is this the eight, nine-man rotation we can expect moving forward? Or, or are Stanley and Utah and Matt Thomas and Malachi Flynn, are, are they all still fighting uh for spots like like, i guess what i'm asking is has this become less fluid and more one of bembry baines davis uh boucher has to lose their top nine spot at this point i think for now they would have to lose it but i don't think it would take much for them to lose it like i i don't think like they have like three games of rope or anything like that you know um and that's sort of what I wrote at the end of my piece. I think I said it earlier. I, I don't think, like, this role certainty is is much of a thing yet. Uh, it could it could coalesce into that. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, for all, for all the positives we're talking about, it's one really good week that was preceded them by them losing to Minnesota. So, like, let's, let's not go crazy here. Um but I, I think, you know, Stanley Johnson and, and Yuta Watanabe, who, you know, mostly lost his his role on the team thanks to injury, um, which is never what you ought to see. Like, they, they've been good enough in spurts that if, you know, Davis ratchets up the mistakes again, and, and I want to say, like, I thought Terrence Davis, the best thing he did last night was lead a couple of transition breaks. I think they both ended um, in DeAndre Bembry dunks. Uh, and, and he just made the right decision. And, you know, he he dribbled until the defense stopped him and he passed to the guy who had an open lane. And I'm saying that like it's simple because on the NBA level, not, it's not to say it's easy, but that's it's pretty basic uh, in, in terms of a basketball play. Like that's what you're taught to do on a, in transition is you go right at the rim until somebody stops you and then you pass to the open guy when you have numbers. Uh, and he did that and he hasn't always been doing that. Uh, like we still haven't seen much in the way of 
half-court playmaking from him, but that's fine. He's hitting some shots. Obviously, he had a big one against Minnesota. Um, so he's, you know, as you say, trending in the right direction. Uh, Bembry, uh, he's interesting. I still can't get, like, a, a great feel on him. He He's obviously been... Uh, I think his defense is maybe a, like slightly overrated. He he, may, he like we were just talking about how good Van Vliet is in gambling. I, I think uh, Bembry might have to dial it a bit back there. He he presses up maybe a bit too much at times, but uh, you can't argue with the numbers. And I do like the energy he brings, and he certainly is like in the way they talked uh, about Patrick McCaw being a facilitator. Uh, like another facilitator in addition to the likes of Lowry and uh, Van Vliet, like DeAndre Bembry actually is another facilitator. Uh, (laughs) And not that McCaw isn't, but he's a dynamic facilitator. Like if you don't stop him, he will get to the rim. And that's sort of the energy that McCaw was missing, I I thought. Uh, And then Baines, like it's going to be a situational thing. If there's no reason to play him, like in terms of a positional matchup, I don't think he'll necessarily get a ton of minutes, but you know, they spent the last week playing Milwaukee, Minnesota and Philadelphia representing some of the teams with the most prominent big men in the league and even backups that are with the exception of Milwaukee, like are, are pretty big dudes. Uh, and he's looked good. You know, you keep him to a very specific role and, and, like he still had some really frustrating misses against <laughs> uh, against Philadelphia, but you know he hit the side of the backboard on on a layup, an interestingly angled layup attempt, but a layup attempt nonetheless, and that's not what you want to see. But I like I already said he was pretty damn good against Embiid in that fourth quarter. Uh, so it's yeah trending in the right direction, but I don't think this is set in stone at all. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I think it has things, like a, it has a game or a game and a half of leeway before that could change. Yeah, one of the things I want to point out about Baines's defense is like I don't think you know it's not quite a Gasol level of just smothering and using your size, you know, to frustrate a guy and stuff like that. I do think part of and, and again this is similar to Bembry and similar to what we've talked about about the the Raptors defensive system taking some time i it looks to me like Baines has better learned the defenders around him and i think he's just like you know the way the Raptors funnel Giannis to extra bodies or, or the way that they want to angle Embiid so that a double can attack and still have time to to close out after i think he's just getting a little smarter and a little more comfortable with, with the ways that the Raptors want a center to play. It's not, you know, it's not very often the Raptors leave a guy on an island unless he's OG Ananobi on the perimeter. Um, and I think that, you know, it takes a... Think back to Marcus Gasol's quotes with the Lakers early in the year and how, you know, how big an adjustment period one of the best big man defenders of all time was going through learning new teammates and their tendencies and angles and stuff like that. Um, it takes some time. So Bane's... And- Trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's that's something that maybe we didn't talk about enough in talking about how the Raptors have improved. It's like on both ends, you can see where that time playing together has helped. And, and it's easier to sort of make that read on, on defense because it's a very, you know, tied in five-man thing. 
But even in the transition offense, the way Nick Nurse was describing it when I asked him about it, uh, he was talking about like guys being in the right places and the guy with the ball sort of, you know, being ahead of the play. And I think that is also a chemistry type thing too. Like it's, you got to learn how to run with guys. Like it's easy to say, get out and go run. And it doesn't matter as much about, you know, about guys learning to play together. But I, th- I think there is some, the, the way it looks, it looks like they've learned how to play in all assets, you know, a bit in all assets, in all aspects, a bit better with each other. And, and that's a lot of what's showing, I think. Yeah. Uh, encouraging signs all around that the uh, Baines minutes have improved and the Raptors without Baines, Len or Boucher on the floor. So they're centerless minutes. Uh, they have a plus 13.7 net rating uh, in 213 minutes like that. Some of that's garbage time, but um, for the most part, it's uh, you can, you know, take away from that that the Raptors have been uh, been pretty good. Yeah, if you filter out garbage time, they're still plus 10.3 net rating uh, in 176 minutes without uh, even including Boucher as a center, which, again, I think part of why Boucher Baines is working so well is that Boucher's not really a center. Um, <laughs> he's a power forward who just, you know, like uh, obviously his, <laughs> I mean, watch him play. His having him, the more dynamic and weird a role he can play and the more he can run around, like he doesn't, uh, he's positionless. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> Unless okay. that position is center. <laughs> um, yeah. Which that's yeah. not true. He was like, per- like, like perfectly functional as a center. But I think, as Nick Nurse said... It's just not the best use of... Yeah, some of his skills are better accentuated when he is not guarding the biggest guy on the floor. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, if he was just hanging out near the rim and drop coverage, I do think he'd get a lot of blocks still. But I think the way he impacts opponent shooting as a kind of roaming guy and a, like, collapse and recover guy is more valuable. And I think you saw, like... The Bucks got kind of rattled by it after after he started blocking some threes. Like Pat Connaughton and DJ Augustine were like very aware of Chris Boucher of the flying um, madman coming at them. Yeah, uh, I have some news that isn't encouraging. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I don't know if you're going to care about it though. Daft Punk has broken up. Yeah, I saw that before we came on. That's uh. My wife just said what from the other room, so she's discouraged. Yeah, that's tough, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I think at our wedding we played uh, one more time. Uh, what a jam. Uh, anyway, we can yeah. move on now. Yeah, let's look ahead. Instead of looking back to the past at, at bands like Daft Punk and weeks like a 4-0 Raptors week, let's look ahead. Eric, there are six games left before uh, the midseason break. The Raptors, of course, are now a game above 500. They're, there's still not a lot of separation in the standings. They're two games out of third in the East and two and a half up on 11th. It only <laughs> takes like five minutes to rise or fall dramatically in the East right now. Um, obviously, you know, we're in the camp of process over results and, uh, you know, the fact that we've been kind of banging the drum that they were actually better than this sub 500 team that they had been, you know, they were better than their results had indicated. So keeping that in mind, what is a reasonable goal for these last six games before the break? Because as much as they're, the schedule isn't, I mean, it's not difficult, but they have a back-to-back and Kyle Lowry's still hurt and things like that. 
I I really feel like it would be kind of a big mental win for them to head into the break above 500 after the way they started the year. For sure. Uh, and if you want to get more granular than that, I think to like bump the defense into the top 10 and, and like legitimately not just like 0.3 away. Yeah, and not 0.3 away from being 16th all of a sudden. And you can only do so much over six games. Like you can't just have the third best defensive rating because you have two good games. Uh, but I'd like to, more than anything else, I'd like to see that trend in the correct uh, direction. The direction is trending right now uh, because I still think this team is going to have some half-court offensive problems against the best defensive teams, and they need that. De- they need the defense. I'm with Nick Nurse, and they need defense to be their pillar like they need it to be represent their floor and they're getting there but it's not quite there yet and i think really establishing that heading into the break would be meaningful uh staying above 500 great goal love it um and if you know if you go in with a top four seed i think they're tied for or percentage points below indiana for fourth right now that that's great Ultimately, I don't really care that much since there will be a half a season left. Uh, I will say, though, that... um, Oh, yeah, sorry. Never mind. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Continue. I'll shut up. Well, now I don't know what I was going to say. But, but, like, just, yeah, I want to see the defense really uh, stabilize into what we thought it would be. Uh, That would be my biggest focus, and it it seems that's the direction they're going. And, like, if they were going to... More to the point, if they were going to be burned by going small, quote unquote, like it probably would have happened this week. Um, like, yeah, out, Milwaukee out, and Philly are the yeah. two teams in the East that you don't want to. Yeah, go like small outside against. of like facing Denver and like putting ill-fated double teams on Jokic so he can make the perfect pass, like is probably yeah, the, is look, probably your worst. With LeBron and Anthony Davis yeah. and Mark Gasol, you maybe want to you yeah. want some beef. Uh, but other than that, like these are the sort of teams that would burn you. And the fact that, yeah, they had some like it was a bad offensive rebounding night on Sunday and on Thursday. But uh, they they more than survived. They they thrived at, at moments against these teams that should have on paper exploited an obvious weakness. So you, you have to feel good about that. And you just. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a sample size thing. You just want to make sure it's, it's real and, and not, you know, an element of surprise type uh, issue. Yeah. And, uh, or element know, the, of unfamiliarity if it's, if it's not surprise. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, to, to consider is, uh, you know, I thought where you were going with the top four thing is you were going to say it didn't matter that much because there's no such thing as home court. Uh, but it does help you avoid Milwaukee, Brooklyn and Philly in the first round. And I think those three teams are, very clearly a tier well Milwaukee you know maybe question mark but uh you know there's a tiering there in the Eastern Conference with uh you know where Toronto Boston Indiana and depending on how you feel about Miami being able to turn it around kind of make up a second tier um you know I think uh finishing four or five finishing fourth is a is a pretty good yeah no it's a good goal but I I just nudge higher than that awesome yeah I just think we're a ways away from yeah. Like staring at the standings and, of and doing math. Uh, but uh, yeah, the highest you can finish, awesome. It's kind of wild that one of those teams will be in the play-in games. Uh, but obviously, especially with the way that the Raptors and the 
uh, heat started the season, uh, it had to happen. But, uh, you know, things are looking, things are looking up for sure. Uh, all right, Eric. Uh, the week ahead is another game against Philadelphia, uh, Miami on the second night of a back-to-back, Houston, and then Chicago. Uh, what do you got for us? Uh, I'm going to go loss, loss, win, win. Um, but, but what I really want to ask is what's more impressive? Like, if I predict a two and two week and the Raptors go two and two, but like I go zero for zero and four, or so like I get all four games wrong, but they still have the overall same record as I predicted, or is it more impressive for me if I predict them to go two and two and they go four and zero? Obviously, meaning that I myself predicted two of the games correctly. I'd say getting the games correct in a week like this, I'd say the games correct is more important. Cause like there's a big difference in quality of competition uh, or like difficulty with Philly and then Miami on a second night of a back-to-back versus Houston and Chicago who are both plucky and fun, but not the level of a Philadelphia yeah. or, you know, even Miami on a back-to-back. So I'd say, I'd say the specifics are more important in a week like this. If it was like, you know, if they're playing Charlotte four times, I'd say getting yeah. the specific, uh, you know, the the week in general is a is a better indicator. But in this case, I'm going to hold you to loss, loss, win, win. Okay, fair answer. I was just curious. I was thinking about that earlier in the week, um, yeah. and I'm sort of embarrassed that that was the thing I was thinking about. But yeah. here we are. Yeah, as my friend John texted me the second you got a game wrong, he asked if I. If I give you a hard time during the week as the wrongs come in, and I told him the second this podcast ends, I no longer remember what you picked. Yeah. So, no, uh, Chris Black, who hates OG Ananobi, uh, was laughing at me in my DMs about how it's it was like the gift that keeps on giving my predictions how how wrong I am consistently. Uh, yeah. I feel I was pretty good last year too. Now, obviously, it's easier to be good with a you know, 52 and 19 team or whatever they finished uh, because yeah, just it, pick wins just all the picking time. wins and you end up having a pretty good record. But uh, yeah, they, they've been a strange bunch this year. Haven't they Blake? They sure have. Uh, all right. We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to talk to you next week after those next four games heading into uh, the final two before the all-star break. As a reminder, uh, theathletic.com slash we the six if you still need to subscribe to our written content and what a time to do so not only are the raptors trending in the right direction uh the trade deadline is like four four and a half weeks away and we'll have lots of pre-deadline content coming in the next couple weeks and then obviously as things ratchet up uh, a little more so eric like um, i think that's it okay it's nice it was, it was nice talking to you yeah thanks for listening everyone and uh eric we'll talk soon See ya!